Welcome to Real Dog Talk with Perfectly Imperfect Pups. Real dogs, real people with real talk. Today I'm drinking wine, of course, because I haven't gotten fancy yet. Like I said, I was gonna. Um, and today's a little bit of a controversial and, you know, it's not a subject that everybody wants to talk about. And I'm going to give you your trigger warnings now. Um, we are talking about behavioral euthanasia. And I understand that it's a hard subject to talk about and it's a hard subject to get your head wrapped around, right? But I think um, it is something that I personally have gone through. Um, I don't talk about it a lot because there's a lot of stigma uh, with it, right? Like people think you failed the dog. People think you didn't do everything right. People think you did something wrong. There's a shame. There's a guilt. And what my hope is, is that I can get people to understand um, where people have come from um, when when they've made that decision of behavioral euthanasia. Um, they don't wake up the next morning and just be like, oh, my dog pooped on the floor. I'm going to euthanize it. Um, it's definitely not that. It's a much deeper, darker um, path that they have gone through to get to that point. Um, often, um, Leading up to it, you have talk about stitches and blood and attacks and medication and behavioralists and trainers and the list goes on and on. And uh, it's a it's hard for people to talk about when you come to somebody and say, "Oh, I had to put my dog down because of X, Y, and Z disease." You get that, oh my gosh, I'm so sorry. You get the empathetic, you get the, um, you know, the rallying around you. But then if you tell somebody that same thing and say, I euthanize because of my dog's behavior, you get a very cold, most of the time, not all the time, because some people understand, um, look and uh, a, a questioning, like, did you do something wrong? And so my hope today is um, to chat um, about it. And hope you guys will take this journey and understand where people come from when they have to do this. Um, I hope that you can learn how to be more of a supportive person if somebody's talking to you, um, whether or not they've already made that choice, they've done that, or they're leading up to that choice, um, that you can come into the conversation where with more empathetic um more empathy, and maybe a little bit more education on it. Um, I understand it's a, it's a very hard subject to listen to. Some of the stories are very hard to listen to. There is a fantastic support group on Facebook that I'm a part of, and I reached out to this support group, and I said, you know, I would love to hear some stories. And as much as people don't want to talk about it, I think it became um, – they became a little bit more excited that maybe we could bring more light to this subject. And so I did get a lot of people that reached out that wanted to tell their story. And I picked a few different ones. Um, what I wanted people to understand is it's not always the quote-unquote rescue dog that came from a bad situation, um, you know, maybe abused. It's not always that. Um, the two of the stories are of um, puppies that they purchased from a 
quote unquote reputable breeder. Um, and, um, and, and so this, this, for lack of better terminology or words, mental illness in dogs starts very young. Um, and generally medication does not work for them. Behavioral interventions don't work for them. Training doesn't work for them and it gets unpredictable and not safe anymore. From a rescue standpoint, um, it's hard for us to adopt a dog that is unpredictable in their behavior and can cause damage to a general public. I would never forgive myself if I adopted a dog out from the rescue and they attacked a child and I knew that they had some tendencies that could have caused this. Sometimes that happens and it's unpredictable and that's no one's fault. This is no one's fault. Um, but when you know that these things have happened and that there is a pattern, um, or with your personal dog, when you know there's a pattern and you can no longer bring people into your house because they might come in at their own risk or get attacked, there is some level of responsibility to that dog, but also to the general public and your family. And um, if they are often this bad off, think about what mentally they're going through. And um, I think that that's something that I want you guys to think about during all these stories. Like, what must this dog have been going through mentally to get to this point? And maybe that empathy will come out a little bit more thinking about it from that point of view or hearing the pain and the voices um, of people telling their stories or maybe they're hiding their pain in some cases. But I picked um, three different stories. Um, two are from people who purchase dogs. One is from a, a behavioral um, a, a canine trainer and a behavioralist um, who also fostered dog and went through it with her. And she's counseled many people on when, as they're coming um, to this uh, decision. And then we're going to end it with a grief counselor. I think that's a good way to end it, talking about grief in general, but grief with, um, with BE or behavioral euthanasia. Um, and what I ask from you guys is to keep an open mind and understand that this may trigger, um, and to take these in very small bites. Um, we're releasing these just a little bit different. Um, we're going to release them once a week for, um, this podcast and through, um, this next month so um, that we can kind of devour this topic together um, and um, get through it all. Um, and then, of course, we'll go into the next month with something lighter because this is a very heavy subject. Um, before we talk to the grief counselor, you're going to hear about my story, which I, I've told to a few people, but you'll hear the story. Um, and that will be at the end of this series, but, um, please, uh, go into it with an open mind. Um, we are here to discuss. So if you have things to say about it, if you want to kind of give your opinion respectfully, please, um, we are open to hearing all of that. Um, and we encourage you to go on the website and fill out the form. Um, and let's start this discussion. Um, and let me know what you think. Did, did the, this series change your mind? Did you look at this subject from a new light? Uh, we'd love to hear from you. So without a further ado, let's get into this. Hey, Christy, thank you so much for being on the podcast with me today. Thank you for having me. So we are just, subject. 
it's it's a tough subject, and I know it's tough to talk about, and I appreciate you coming on. Um, we are just trying to, um, you know, I've reiterated this before every story. We're just trying to um, make this a more normalized conversation. So, and I know it's tough to talk about, so I appreciate it. So if you just want to go ahead and get started, um, tell me a little bit about, um, you know, the dog that you had, how you got him, um, his name, and all the information, and kind of where you came to behavioral euthanasia? Sure. So ever since I met my cousin's golden retriever in high school, I wanted one of my own. So in 2020, yes, it was a COVID puppy. Um, I did some research. We were finally in a place where we had time to do training and spend time with this puppy. Found a breeder in a neighboring state that had a litter of puppies, all purebred with papers, which I naively thought meant we were just going to have the best family dog. And he was a good family dog, 97, 98% of the time. Right. Um, he loved running around outside, going on walks, meeting people. Um, he was super smart, just breezed through obedience school, almost passed um, canine good citizen test, just had one little infraction. Um, he was goofy, and we were just obsessed with him. He was the best. However, um, his resource guarding issues were apparent pretty much from day one. He would guard his food, his treats, his toys, anything that he considered of value. And how old was he when you got him? He was eight weeks old. Okay. Yep. So we were careful not to take things from him or do things that might, you know, make it worse and kind of in the beginning chalked it up to puppy behavior. However, I don't remember how old he was, maybe like um, four months-ish. He bit a 10-year-old girl who had come over who had simply reached over to pick up a stick in the yard that he wanted. And so at that point, we kind of thought, well, maybe we need some outside help just to make sure this doesn't get out of control. And um, we hired a positive intervention trainer who worked with us. And um, after a while, the guarding of food and treats did get a little bit better. However, he started to guard other things like people, mostly me, or just certain spots in the house. And it got more and more unpredictable. I mean, we were well-versed in all the signs to watch out for the growling, the whale eyes, the stiffening, and so forth. But it got to the point where he wouldn't even, he would just attack. Mm -hmm. Um, Sometimes he just didn't want to be pet or looked at. Um, And we never, we just never knew what kind of mood he was going to be in. And the bites got more severe too. Um, It wasn't just nipping. It was like latching on and not letting go until one of us intervened, which caused serious injuries. Mm. So, I mean, everybody who knew about our situation was just flabbergasted. They would say, that's not how goldens are. You don't, you don't hear about that happening with a golden. Right. And so sometimes it was just implied that we were doing something wrong, that surely maybe our son who was, uh, he was 13 at the time that he was mistreating him or doing something to make him react that way. But we knew because we were around all the time, and he wasn't doing anything to Murphy. He loved him so much. Right. It's just hurtful that people kind of blamed us on the basis of the reputation of Murphy's breed. Of course, you know, we blame ourselves too, second guessing every interaction we'd ever had with him from day one. Uh, where did we go wrong? And you hear the phrase, there are no bad dogs, only bad owners. Right. And so, you know, you can't help but feel like you failed miserably despite doing everything in your power to, to remedy the situation. So you go ahead. I was just going to, I, 
100% agree. It's like people just assume you've done wrong. So kind of what, um, what besides the trainer, did you guys um, talk with your vet or kind of what, what were other things that you guys did to try to, to help this situation? So when the trainer, when we noticed that things were getting worse instead of better, she kind of sat us down and said, well, you have a few options. Um, we could, you could hire a veterinary behaviorist which the closest one was two hours away and was so very far out of our budget that it wasn't going to work. Right. And even after spending the thousands of dollars, there's obviously no guarantee that as to the results. Right. Um, option B is rehome him. And later I made a public Facebook post that probably tens of thousands of people saw um, and no, nothing came out of it. I reached out to a handful of local rescues, including golden rescues, but no one wants a dog with a bite history. Right. Um, and then her last option was resort to behavioral euthanasia, which I couldn't even fathom, couldn't believe she was putting on the table. Just, I couldn't even believe it. And so we tried lots of things to avoid that last option. Um, we tried neutering him at six months with goldens. We were told just wait as long as you can, but we did it early just to see if that would, um, possibly affect his behavior. We had him thoroughly examined. Exam examined at the vet, um, blood work, everything was perfect. Um, we inquired with two different vets about medication, um, and both didn't advise it because they thought it would potentially reduce his inhibitions even more. We tried muzzling. Um, we joined a Facebook group about muzzling to learn more. We consulted with four or five respected shelter managers and trainers um, all around us. And shockingly, all of them advised euthanasia just based on the nature of his bites up to that point. Mm. Um, we made posts on Facebook vet groups and animal behavior groups, read articles, just did lots of research trying to educate ourselves on what we could do to avoid um, what seemed like it was becoming inevitable. Um, and the biggest thing was did, we did was just lots and lots of management, just keeping him away from guests, um, keeping him away from our teenage son, we had a chihuahua who was 15 at the time, keep him, keeping him away from her. And toward the end, he was crated or contained in our office a lot, which I hated, but that's the management that we had to do to keep our family safe. Right. But the problem with management is that eventually there will be a time when focus is lost and you turn your back for five seconds and then um, you're not paying attention. So, exactly. and that's what happened one morning before school. Um, my son had just put a pop tart in the oven or in the toaster. It was kind of moseying around the kitchen, just waiting and without thinking, reached down and pet Murphy like he's done many times before. However, at that moment, I was across the room pouring food into Murphy's bowl. And I think just because of proximity, Murphy instantly attacked my son and wouldn't let go. Oh. So I finally got him off and my son had a huge anxiety attack while standing in this very grisly scene. And that, that was the last draw. Um, it was at that point I knew it couldn't continue in my house. Uh, we were also a foster family. So we had recently had a seven-year-old boy stay at our house for a month. And who, know, who knew who, how, how many other kids could come in right. younger than that? Um, so my conscience couldn't allow it to continue in another home either. So rehoming wasn't really an option at that point. Right. So Murphy was only a year and a half old. Um, at that point, he had bitten a young girl. He had bitten my son about 15 times, two of them requiring stitches, and he's got permanent scarring all over his hands and arms. 
He had bitten our elderly chihuahua on the neck and thrashed her around. It's amazing that she lived through. And he had attacked a handful of other dogs in boarding and other settings. So again, these weren't just nips. They were out of nowhere, like level five probably attacks in which she would bite and thrash around and just not stopping until someone intervened. Right. So that was the really heartbreaking moment that we felt like we'd run out of options and kind of the kindest and safest thing to do was to put him to rest. Yeah. Yeah. That's, you know, and, um, talking to other people and my, um, experience, it, the stories are all very similar. Like they started out young and then it, the, the behaviors became unpredictable. And, and that's what I'm, that's what I'm echoing. That's what I hear echoing throughout all of these stories is the unpredictableness. Yeah. That's what makes it scary. It does because, you know, I know that for me, I have um, a reactive dog, but I know what his triggers are. Like I know when it's going to happen, but those dogs that you don't, there's no way to contain that management for a lifetime. Yes. And you mentioned it as well as managements fail. Like one little thing that is off, a gate left open, a door left open, a forgetting Mm -hmm. when you're petting the dog that there's food being poured. Like all of these things are what I'm hearing is that the management just fails eventually. Right. Right. So, well, I am so sorry that you um, and your family went through all that. I hope you all are healing well from it um, because I know that it's, it's a tough time. It's a tough thing to heal from. Were you it able is. to talk to your family and your friends about your decision? Did they accept that decision or did you just tell everybody that he passed? Um, yeah, I was fortunate to have a family that kind of understood and they were supportive. Um, so I was very thankful to have that support. The only issue was my husband was deployed at the time. So I was kind of left to deal with, um, deal with it by myself. And, um, so that was hard, but yeah, I mean, the grief is, is crazy. Um, I don't think I would have grieved any, any more or less if it was a human child. Right. Um, because he was just so much a part of our family. He was my best friend. It was just, it's just not fair. It is not the Goldens, right? (laughs) Well, and, and that's the other thing that I want people to understand is that these are all different breeds. It's not like exactly a particular breed that, you know, um, I know that, um, the, the group, you read the posts in the group and there's no rhyme or reason on age, breed, um, how these dogs are brought like there's there's no one thing that ties them all together right I just think that personally I think and you tell me what you think is that their brains are just they're born with their brains just quite not wired right exactly yeah yeah since then I've talked with three other people whose um whose goldens have the same parents as Murphy's and they, too, have aggression issues. They haven't escalated to the point of Murphy's as of two years ago when I talked to them. But that just makes it even more clear in my mind that there was some wiring that wasn't right in his brain. Or maybe he experienced some sort of severe trauma at the breeders before we got him. Right. I'm not sure. So, yeah, you just never know. You just don't. And yeah, I'm so sorry. Well, Christy, thank you so much for coming on today and sharing your story. Um, I know it's hard and we appreciate you sharing it. Um, And we, um, you know, we send our condolences to you and your family. Thank you so much.